0: Hello, and welcome to another edition of Jaffa-Ville. John and myself, Gary, is Tilt. Hello. How you doing?
1: I'm okay, you right there, wah? Did you do look very nice, though, don't you, though? So?
0: I didn't realise we were doing the live birds. Oh, it must be sitcom club, after all. <laughs> However, now hang on a second, because you can hear a third voice there. Now, what's happening this time is that somebody's joining us for a discussion on, as you've guessed by now, the Beatles cartoons, until you can explain exactly what they are in just a moment. But with us in a triangular formation today is Ken Mills. Ken, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on the show today. I've I've always enjoyed what you guys do, and it is an honor to be invited.
0: We hope that you had fun with the Fab Four in their animated adventures.
2: Absolutely. This is something that is part of my pop culture DNA, right? This is something I was into at the time. And it's something that has followed me throughout my life. To me, there would be nothing without the Beatles. So this is part of everything.
0: Now, I wasn't sure what you meant there, if you meant the Beatles or the Beatles cartoon, because if it had been the latter, that would have been quite
2: something. Well, it's, it's really all part of the same thing, right? Because whatever the Beatles are in 2017 is not exactly what it was in 1967 or what have you, right? Now it's uh, some sort of thing that has to be responsible for the entirety of the history of the Beatles. Personally, this cartoon seems to have ruffled some feathers somewhere along the line, but I'm sure we'll get into that as we go on.
1: This is why we needed you. We needed somebody from the US to help us with this, because the Beatles cartoon did not make that much of an impact in the UK. Let's compare two dates. September 25th, 1965. That is when... The US first saw the Beatles cartoon in the UK, January the 3rd, 1976, and only on the Granada region. That is so absurd.
2: Why was that?
1: I've not been able to get to the bottom of it. I've been looking online. I can't find my copy of the book about the Beatles cartoons. It's deeply frustrating. There is a story that Brian Epstein objected to it and didn't want it sold in the UK, and the band were right behind him on that. George had the biggest problem with the show. Ringo had the least problem, which is interesting, given how (laughs) dumb they make him out. Yeah, very bizarre. And it is possible, though, that there wasn't that much of a market to it. The very first thing I think we need to deal with is the voices of the Beatles. Lance Percival is doing Paul and Ringo, and a man called Paul Freese, who British listeners... You have heard him. You've heard him without realising it. He's all over the place. Possibly most famous voice would be Boris Badenoff in Rocky and Bullwinkle. But he got about. He was like the official ADR guy for Peter Lorre and Humphrey Bogart. Peter Lorre once said to him, look after our voice. Bogart and Lorre were well aware that he was doing this and they were happy because he did it so well. But the decision was made the US wouldn't understand the accents. And I have an issue with that. At the point this cartoon's made, they are the most famous people, arguably, in the English-speaking world. And I think that was a barrier to showing it in the UK because people turn on, what is this? And it would just, Gary, you've got issues with John, mainly.
0: Well, the thing about John's voice is that it's not just that he doesn't sound liver and he doesn't sound anything like John Lennon. And I described him... Before we began recording just now, I described him as somebody doing a sort of cartoonish impersonation of David Niven, for example. So a stereotypical English gentleman is is a sort of the vibe I'm, I'm getting from this. And I'd also said to yourself when we were watching the cartoons that if people can remember the two occasions in which the Pink Panther in the cartoons spoke, that's what it reminded me of a little bit as well. And then you pointed something out, Till, about why that would be.
1: One of those times it was Paul Freese. There's another reason we ask Ken here. As well as the advantage of his birth and upbringing on this big patch of land that I live in too, he's also made study of the Beatles' voices. Ken, could you give us a little bit of John?
2: Well, you know, John Lennon, he would he would say things like, uh, I'm not saying that we're better or greater than Christ as a person or God as a thing. George is very nasally, like, for example... Well, there's two Georges. There's the one from Hard Days Night, who's very quick-witted and with the quips and stuff like that. And like he, he, he really goes up in here, and he's like, "I'd be quite prepared for that eventuality," you know what I'm saying? But then you listen to like an interview from like 1965 when they're on the road, and a DJ's, you know, so George, tell us what it's like, and and he'd be like, "Well, the American audiences are very energetic." So there's that sort of thing. There's like the tired dead one. And then you've got Paul who you know, he's kind of like this, that sort of shuffly kind of thing, you know. And Ringo, he's he's the one that I have the most fun with because, you know, there's the like um there's the modern day Ringo and the earlier one, right? The, he's got a much deeper voice nowadays, so it's like So, you know, i play me kit, right? And then Like, nowadays, it's the same thing. And he'd be like, you know, Paul basically was like a male bimbo. He was a mimbo. I mean, let's be honest, right? Peace and love, peace and love. And so he was lucky to find us, right? (laughs) So that sort of thing. But let me put it this way. The teens didn't have a problem with the English accents, if you will. So the uh, producers should have had faith in that.
1: Trying to remember if at any point in this cartoon, John says, I say, because (laughs) he does seem to have that kind of voice. I think he does, actually. Paul is just generically middle class. I could almost live with Paul's voice being exactly the same in a post dubbed version of the cartoon, because, of course, Paul's lower middle class. And so is always pretending to be slightly higher up the chain than he really is, where, of course,. John was more upper-middle-class. People who've been to see the Beatles' houses go and see Menlove Avenue, go, working-class hero, right? Hmm? John has that thing of being quite posh, but remembering what he's meant to be and trying to slide down. And George and Ringo, well, apparently Ringo's house is in the Dingle. Gary, you know the Dingle from The Whackers. Are we
0: actually saying that Ringo grew up in an area with an outside convenience,
1: perhaps?
2: Almost certainly. Now, if you said that somebody grew up in the dingle here, that would sound painful.
1: Oh, it's, it's painful in Liverpool as well.
0: <laughs> Anybody in the UK who wants to do an impersonation of Ringo Starr these days, they don't really do any kind of voice. It's all about the words. They simply say, Thomas the Tank Engine, roll into the station. <laughs> oh, that's there beautiful. Spot on. Even though half of the, the episodes don't actually have Ringo Starr's voice in them anyway, but...
1: So, yeah, Ringo in the cartoon is a Bromie. Lance Percival managed to win this concession that he could give one of them a working-class English accent and went to Birmingham? What was it that Lance couldn't do a Scouse accent? I mean, if you can do a Bromie, surely you can do a Scouse. One would figure. And then there's George. Ah, uh. I was so delighted to know that I was not the only one who thought this looking where somebody said, he sounds like an Irish Indian Peter Laurie. <laughs> George's voice is from nowhere on this earth.
0: See, my, my, my Beatles knowledge is not particularly great, so I was asking yourself, Till, has has George already started going to India on a regular basis by this point and this is some sort of in joke? But you said that's not the case.
1: No, no, it's not a satirical jab.
0: Maybe that would explain why George had the biggest problem with this.
1: I I'm thinking, yes. Later on, this softened towards it. John actually liked enjoying watching reruns in New York. but So the UK transmission, it was shown on Granada television. So it would actually have been shown in Liverpool by this point. But we're only talking one little patch in the northwest of England. 1976, got another rerun in 1980. The nearest it got to being shown to all of the country at once would be on a thing called Night Network, which means it would be shown like... One, two o'clock in the morning. That's absurd. And not even listed. It would just sometimes turn up. Every time I set the video for Night Network, it was not a night when they were showing the Beatles.
0: And of course, you know the one part of the country till that didn't get Night Network at any point was Central. So people didn't even get to hear their local hero, Ringo.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh, to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> You know, all of this is very sad because it was a huge hit on ABC on the Saturday morning time slot when it debuted on September 25th, 1965 at 10.30 a.m. It racked up a 13 score or 52 share, a then unheard of in daytime televisions. So it's pretty good ratings, right? It's, It's crazy that you wouldn't want to replicate that elsewhere.
1: For those who haven't seen, and a lot of them have been pulled off YouTube now, I would compare the animation level with a bit like the Inspector sequences in the Pink Panther show. That kind of level, maybe slightly down from there. It's made by King Features, not a name that's particularly famous for animation. And I'm just thinking of other things they did, things like Barney Google and Snuffy Smith, Crazy Cat, not names to conjure with in terms of animation. All the animation's been outsourced. None of these are actually animated within the US. It's sent to studios in England, Australia, Canada, and Holland. It's only about four done in Holland, so it does must have been a rush order. You notice a little break in, hang on a minute. I think there were three central hubs, and obviously something's a bit strange if there's just a tiny number being done somewhere
2: else. Like, for example, one of the episodes that you wanted us to key in on today, I could see the, the animation was completely different to drawings of Ringo, for example.
1: Yes, Ringo's off-model a lot of the time. Apparently, Paul, I never noticed any big problems with Paul,
2: but his eyes keep changing size. Well, they they do anyway, as a person looks about, so, <laughs> you
0: know. I did notice Paul looking a bit odd on occasion and thinking, because I didn't know what that term was. What do you say? Off-model, he said. Yes. So I was just sort of thinking, well, maybe did they draw the other three in the UK and then they they drew Paul in Canada <laughs> or something like that? They tried to stitch them together.
2: Well, there was your main pieces that would get the most amount of work, and then the background artist would fill in things like moving fingers and stuff like that. There are times when the Beatles are running up the stairs and knights are chasing them, and the stairs just completely disappear. Or you'll see them playing guitar, and sometimes a hand will be playing, but there's no arm. You know what I'm saying? It's weird things like that.
1: I'm trying to think what the state of English animation would be. There would be a bit more of a animation culture after the beginning of ITV, because commercials will have put a big demand. Australia was lagging behind. Gary, you remember when we watched um, Dot and the Kangaroo get depressed with Santa? Apparently the producer of that is famous for dragging the Australian animation industry forward so the Australian ones are the ones that have most problem with staying on model they also have a tendency to fall back on certain stereotypes that would not be welcomed by at least one voting member of the board of Apple and I think that's the thing
2: that's holding this back from a big revival well let's be honest the show's not that good it's just not and that's one of the things that I think is a no vote, right? I mean, if you're going to put this out, do you make it its own thing? It's like this year, it, well, every year around this time, they try to make something big, some big push. And it now seems like Apple is doing two things a year. For example, you get the Sergeant Pepper's thing, and then now we're getting uh, the Christmas albums on vinyl. So they're they're trying to do this two-tier staggered thing now that the catalog's been remastered and All that. So where would you put this? Would it be for Christmas release? Would it be springtime? It's it's not as big as like let's say the 50th anniversary of whatever album. So it's kind of an anomaly. It's not going to reach out to a lot of people. On the other hand, the merchandising side of the Beatles cartoons is something that there's a cash cow there that they're not really utilizing to its biggest uh, degree. For example, T-shirts and uh, the, the McFarland dolls. I don't know if you've ever seen any of those figures. They're excellent. And there's a lot more that they could do. Like, for example, I have an alarm clock that's got this artwork on it. So it's, it's a really ridiculously large alarm clock. <laughs> I love it. But there's so much that they could be doing with this. And to me, by putting this out on Blu-ray and DVD, while people are still purchasing things that you can hold, It seems like something that they could put out with four figures and make this like a $60 thing, you know what I'm saying? They could put out the box set, DVD and Blu-ray. We would buy it happy, jolly with a knife, right?
1: Here's something we haven't hit before in our look at the Beatles. The Beatles' problem, which is they get very itchy about stuff that's too niche. The mono albums have to be separated and put out as an expensive box. You can't do what nearly every other 60s group who go back to their monos does and just put them on the same CD as the stereo if they fit. Apparently there's this feeling that Joe Public will get horribly confused if all the songs are on there twice. Mike Scott, I Can Hear You Screaming, Carnival of Light, which huge numbers of people want to hear and would pay money for, but the Beatles... I mean, Paul wants it out there, but there's this problem. How do we explain it? Anything that comes out that's Beatles has to be understood instantly by the lowest common denominator. Otherwise, there are issues. I mean, even that Sgt. Pepper box that came out this year, it's all rough takes. There are no tape experiments particularly on there. There's this idea of always selling the Beatles as a great little rock and roll band and not a bunch of, arty experimental freaks and people trying to find their way. They can't really put this out because they'd have to say it's not great it deals in stereotypes that are going to make people skip to the next one and skip to the next one and then say watch something else and the Beatles can't be seen to do that.
0: As far as television is concerned I mean you're you're right I think that there are slightly different standards when it comes to things that could be released on DVD and Blu-ray and things that just make regular TV so people will be aware for example that the whole of Spike Milligan's Q series is getting a DVD release just now and of course people who are buying that know exactly what it is that they're getting. The chances of that suddenly turning up uncut on on BBC2, no, that's really just un- sort of unthinkable now and as far as the Beatles cartoons concerned, I mean you were saying Ken about how they're, they're not particularly good cartoons anyway, I can definitely see it fitting into something like Boomerang for example. And it would be, I guess they'd probably want it to be sort of remastered and cleaned up a little bit from the bootleg like versions that are doing the rounds. And it would be chopped up, obviously, to fit in the, you know, commercials. They've probably got more commercial breaks these days than they had at the time. But the problem is going to be the number of times that you get stereotypical portrayals in the cartoons. Because by the time you've exercised all of that, I mean, I don't know what the percentage would be, but it, it seemed to be very frequent. And that's going to be the problem. There's bits and pieces in those cartoons that would just, I mean, I can't speak for American TV, but certainly would not make any British TV channel today. At the very least, they'd put out a warning about, what's the expression that they use nowadays? They, they would say something of, it reflects the values of the time or some nonsense like that. But I suspect that then, by the time that the broadcasters had seen that, I think they probably think it was more trouble than it's worth.
2: But let's be honest, this is not going to be broadcast anywhere. The only reason to do this is to get the physical media into people's hands while they're still alive to enjoy it. And that's why, if if, if I were to propose a plan to Apple to release the Beatles cartoon, it would be a Beatles comic book, it would be four figures, one of each one, collect them all, right? So your box set is now not just about the DVD and Blu-ray that you're getting. It is now about the experience of the Beatles cartoon and a way to kick off the merchandising for that. And you put a documentary on there where you talk to uh, Yoko and George's widow and Paul and Ringo. And you just say that uh, we really had nothing to do with it. But it was something that was extremely successful. Talk about the actual making of the thing. And anybody that's still alive from that, if that fails, you get people who are big fans, who are celebrities, to come on and talk about how much they enjoyed it growing up, right? So that's really how you have to look at this. You can say, trust me, if we would have been involved, that wouldn't have happened, and that wouldn't have happened, and that wouldn't have happened. Give a couple of examples. But, you know, you don't want to change it from what it was, but we live in different times now. Beatle fans would snap that up in a heartbeat. I'm talking about people that will own Help and Hard Day's Night Magical Mystery Tour. There's a certain, like, you know, you want to say niche, but the Beatles' niche is bigger than most bands' entire promotional thing, right? You know what I'm saying?
1: Yes, but there is this frustration that, like when Anthology came out, I mean, the first volume had these crossfades between interviews. There was this odd stumble where it wasn't emphasised enough, these are outtakes the returns on that album, people went out and bought them thinking that it was maybe all new music or at least maybe all songs they hadn't heard before and of course it's live tracks, alternate tracks but crossfades with interviews, there was this odd itchiness about how we can't show the Beatles with their pants down, it had to be sold as something huge And that's been the corporate mindset at Apple
2: for quite some time. I just want Carnival of Light, that's all. Here's here's the sad thing. I'm a huge Monkees fan, right? Well, that's not the sad thing. But uh, the Monkees, they have Rhino Records taking care of them, and an archivist by the name of Andrew Sandoval, who does some amazing work. For example, the albums all have handmade sets. Do you know what those are? Oh, yes. But explain for our listeners who are onto that side of things. They are about the size of a 45 vinyl sleeve. And they're thick enough that you can put a little booklet in there, and they come in a heavy cardboard case, and they all fit together neatly on the shelves. Now, out of the albums that the Monkees have done, for example, the Monkees' original album had a four-disc handmade set that had everything from the stereo versions to the mono versions to the, the, the music without the vocals, or outtakes and things like that, and demos. So it became this big thing, and when they ran out of room for that, they included stuff by a young fellow by the name of Michael Blessing, who would later become Michael Nesmith again and Davy's first album that was on Bell. So the way to do this kind of stuff is to aim it at a select group. The monkeys aren't afraid of not selling 200 million units, but they know that if they print 5,000 of these, that they will be snapped up, right? So that's the way the Beatles should do this sort of thing. If they make it a boutique kind of thing, their fans will jump at it. I'm telling you right now, if if they put the kind of package that I put forward I mean, if if you take the Monkees album headquarters alone, there is a deluxe version of the set that comes with stereo mono and then another disc that's four albums of just the making of, and it's got outtakes and different mixes and things like that. To a collector, it's unbelievable. So I look at what Rhino Warner is able to do with the Monkees. Surely this can be done for the Beatles, the same concept. And it would be a chance to turn the wheel one more time, right?
1: Yes. Do do you have the Sgt. Pepper box? Yes. It's oddly timid, isn't it, compared to what the monkeys have done, compared to the Beach Boy Smile Sessions box? Yes, absolutely. And it, it makes me
2: kind of sad in a way. As great as it was, you know that there was more there.
1: And the talk for Remix is now going next straight to the White Album. I said, well, hang on a minute. What about all those (laughs) singles in the Magical Mystery Tour EP? What about the sessions they were doing immediately after the album was released that apparently are not that good? But it's like, well, let's hear them being not that good. But for some reason, the Beatles have to be, we did it right first time. Here's an early take of us doing it almost exactly the same as the record ended up. It's peculiar.
2: Yeah, it makes me very sad. So they need to get this into our hands while we're still alive to have our bank accounts raided by them. So please, (laughs) take my money.
1: Here's another depressing thing. So I don't know how many scripts for this show are out there in the wild, but certainly among the assets that were being passed around and eventually ended up with Apple, the script of every episode still existed and they were destroyed in 1998. Oh my God,
2: that's absurd.
1: I learned that from Mojo Magazine.
0: So it shows BBC Archive all over again.
1: The US reaction to the Beatles. Could you give us a thumbnail sketch? Because I'm thinking it was maybe slightly more surprised than it was in the UK. Because in the UK, we could kind of tie them to some traditions that we at least recognised. One of the things I was thinking of is that bit in the Flintstones where it's bug music made by those insects, which I've seen used as pointing at a time when the Beatles were... Not just not respectable. They weren't really seen as individuals. A lot of early parodies of the Beatles just show them all looking alike and all going, yeah, 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 all the time.
2: Well, that's everything, right? Whether it's new kids on the block in sync or ev- everything is mocked and made fun of at first. It's like the old saying that the little girls know what the men don't understand, right? The first people that were into Sinatra were the teen girls, the Bobby Soxers. The first people that were into Elvis, teen girls. Everybody's behind the curve when it comes to that. And, and you know, we can go back to when Britney Spears became really huge, which begat Backstreet Boys, which begat NSYNC, which begat Christine Aguilera, which, be, you know what I'm saying? They had their, everything was being aimed at the tweeners because they had disposable income. And, and that's really what this is all about. So at first it was just, oh, this is goofy. I know that in my family's households, we all got together. And the whole family came together for this. This was not something that happened very often. We would get together, sometimes for no reason, but to get together to see something on grandpa's bigger TV and drive 25 miles so that the family could all be together. And my my grandpa, Harold Artman, he was like, oh, brother. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) He couldn't believe what he was seeing. This is what everyone's worked up about. This cartoon is an extension of that, right? And this was aimed not not so much at the the teens, but at the kids. It's aimed at the kids, but there's something behind
1: the scenes that seems partially based in a middle-aged reaction to the Beatles. Well, they're just a bunch of guys with silly haircuts, and we don't have to reflect their true personalities. We don't entirely understand their true personalities. That's one level of this production. Of course, underneath that, you will have people who are working on these cartoons who get it. And as the show goes on, it starts to grow more towards the Beatles' mindset. Once you get into series three, you can see Yellow
2: Submarine is coming. And you talk about like the man in the suit or whatever, the businessman who says, hey, we could make a couple bucks off this. There's a talisman for everybody on the screen in the opening, right? You see John, you see George, you see Paul, and so on. And then when it comes to Al what do you see? A cigar-chomping hand. You know, saying, I think we could make a few nickels off this thing. What do you think, Morty? You know, that sort of a thing. So there's a certain uh, self-awareness that the cartoon has. Now, the difference between that, the guy saying, I think we could make a few nickels off this, Morty, and what happened with the monkeys was you had Schneider and Rafelson, the producers, who wanted to be part of the Beatles' wave. They could see that something was happening and that society was actually being changed around them as it was happening. And you may not have understood it, but it it was literally seeping into every part of American culture. Uh, I was speaking to a good friend this weekend. We were saying, you know, it's not many bands that literally change the world. It blows my mind, and and I've tried to have this conversation with people, but they rarely understand it. But we know the Beatles is what they became, right? Not what they started out. But when you say, what are the odds that Paul McCartney would live that close to John Lennon? It's like Elvis Presley uh, going on a date with Marilyn Monroe. That's what it became. What it started out was four guys that picked up instruments and started a little band. Who knew?
1: Well, one thing we talked about on Hard Day's Night is one change in the law in Britain allowed the Beatles to happen because had they been born, all of them, I mean, if John had been born 18 months before he was, he would have ended up in the army for two years because national service had ended and my my dad had to do national service. He was born in 1939. John Lennon didn't. He was born in 1940. So just that change in the law. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been able to get it together because at the age they did get it together, they would have been been put through their paces and taught how to kill.
0: Can you mention something a few moments ago you said about how you've got the representations of all of the Beatles in the opening titles? Actually, I'm going to pause that thought. First of all, why are the opening titles so utterly different to everything else that follows? I mean, I know that you get that sometimes with cartoon series and what have you, but yeah, they, they felt like a complete wall away.
1: Was that partially the quality, though? They seem to have been taken off a 16 mil print that had been used to line a budgie cage. <laughs> I don't know. It just
0: maybe it was, but I mean, I thought that they they looked slightly different, and there as well that that seemed to have been like outsourced. It's like you know, the, the oh, actually, maybe the, the
1: opposite. I don't know this for a fact, but if any part of it would have been animated in the US, it would most likely be the opening and closing titles, which will be used again and again and again, and will therefore have slightly better animation, a bit more time taken over we're talking about rocky and bullwinkle most of that was animated in mexico but there were certain bits that it was known would be reused that j1 animated in the u.s
0: okay this is just some problem that i've got okay i know that this is not necessarily going to be shared by everyone but it slightly freaked me out when i'm seeing photographs of the beatles in the opening titles because for whatever reason, I'm sort of thinking this is the cartoon universe, this is the world that we're in, and we're accepting that they can just sort of walk anywhere and go anywhere and all that kind of stuff. But then suddenly when I'm seeing a, an actual photograph of one of them, it's like Ooh, uh, hang on a second, I've been jolted back into the real world.
1: I think in series three, in the opening titles, that's to remind you who's who. <laughs> By the way, they don't look now the way they do in this cartoon, so in case you were wondering. For those who have just joined us.
2: Well, I think that to me, it really lent an idea to the viewer that these are the Beatles. This is it. This is the real deal. This isn't some knockoff. So to me, having the Beatles appear over the, the three series, as you say, let me put it this way. It meant the difference between me watching the show and not.
1: Also, I've seen a claim, and I don't know of any counter-examples, that this is the first cartoon series which is based on real people. So you
2: have to introduce the audience to that idea. And what's weird is that the same uh, thing happened over again. For example, when the Osmonds and the Jackson 5 had their cartoon, they would start out as the people and then turn into the cartoon.
0: Right, now, okay, here's an idea, and obviously this didn't happen, but, alright. The Three Stooges cartoon... Why didn't they do that with the Beatles? Right, so they film, I don't know, say 90 seconds of awkward <laughs> comedy with the four of them at some point in a recording studio somewhere, and they can say, oh, Ringo, do you remember that time that we went up to the moon and then the cartoon cuts in and then blah, 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 and then you come back out again and they're still sat there and saying, oh, blimey, we've had some adventures, haven't we? Anyway, kids, see you next week. There you go.
1: With all due respect to the Three Stooges, they had the time... To come in and do that. I'm not saying they would have welcomed the work, but that was easy to schedule for them and they would have probably been quite enthusiastic. And yes, you've just reminded me. So the Three Stooges cartoon was the second cartoon based on real people and I think it debuted within weeks, if not days, of the Beatles cartoon. Where's the Laurel and Hardy cartoon from? That I think is 66 or 67. We're not doing the Laurel and Hardy cartoon, Gary.
0: No, we're not, no. No.
1: Oh, I thought you were trying to pressure me. No, into it. no, no, never, no. I, I've got Larry Harmon's autobiography right in my eye line. I could do a bit of research.
0: You can do all the research you want, I'm not watching that again. <laughs> the, the constant disappointment of spotting in the TV listings Laura and Hardy and then realizing, hang on, five minutes, I've been duped. I've been conned. <laughs> Damn it. Okay, you're saying so that the Beatles they wouldn't be they wouldn't go a bundle on the doing the intros and outros.
2: Well, well, wait a second, hold on. You know, your, your idea has merit, but they could barely trouble to do that for the the big screen movie debut of Yellow Submarine. You know, it wasn't until, which they wanted nothing to do with, by the way, until they saw it and thought, well, this is actually pretty good, which is why they did that little bit about the newer and bluer meanies spotted within the vicinity of this theatre, right? So,
0: Okay, well, I've got retrospective idea, and I'll warn you both now, it's really bad. Okay, but, okay, let's say, for example, in this, you know, forthcoming year, let's say 2018, Apple sees Sense, right, and they're going to release the cartoons on, on blu-ray or something like that but we're gonna have a little bit of a even better than that sort of complication because they're not just going to release them they're gonna build them and structure them as if they were those Free Stooges cartoons and in lieu of actually having any sort of intros and outros from the guys what they're going to do is they're going to take footage from let it be and drop that to the start and the end of each one right what do you what do you think now now this is perfect now we're flying
1: so what we have like maybe we just like zoom in on the one who's the most brassed off and had enough of the Beatles at this particular jam <laughs> session we just do a transition so he's dreaming about the good old days. Actually if they do do this box set another thing they need to do pick the six best shows and take them into a studio with Peter Serafinowicz. <laughs> yes. Just you know you don't have to do the whole series just do the best ones and redo those voices.
2: <laughs> I would love Absolutely. that. The weird thing is, though, as much as I think it's odd and off-putting, I still want them to end every bit of Ringo's dialogue with, uh, yeah. <laughs> 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 I still want to keep that, okay? That bit I'll keep. But the rest of it, I want a, a chance to change the audio track on the menu, you know?
0: The, the, the key bit that I really wanted to hear and obviously never got to was, who is it that's bringing us... The first half, the second half of the show that Ringo keeps on telling us about because we never see the sponsor stings. So, I mean, what was a particular sponsor that was associated with this show? Was it really big with, I don't know, Imperial Leller or or Budweiser or Kodak (laughs) or
2: somebody? Actually, it was the AC Gilbert Company and Quaker Oats and the Mars Candy Company. So those were the three main sponsors. So you basically had Candy... And breakfast food aimed right at you. So get your Twix or or whatever, you know.
0: I guess that makes sense for a Saturday morning, show. Yeah, it's all fallen into place now. Actually,
1: another thing I was thinking about why the Beatles cartoon didn't get shown in the UK. There was no Saturday morning cartoon culture in the UK in 1965. How did you guys live? Without telly until about midday. And then when midday television started, it was sport. Wow. Yes, my wife still makes fun of me because I can even remember, and this would have been what, ni- 1979, getting up in on a Saturday morning and sitting and having to wait for the channel to open to watch Spider-Man it's and so having to bizarre. sit for the five minutes while they played their station theme and put up a board saying, Yorkshire Television Independent Broadcasting Authority...
2: You know, it's really sad because, again, I was talking to somebody about this uh, actually just the other day. The, The current generation of kids have always had microwaves and have always had Happy Meals that came with toys, right? So they're used to having everything their way and having a phone in their face or a screen of one kind or another. There's no such thing as Saturday morning TV anymore, even though there is. It's just a completely different animal. It's now more educational than it is fun. But for us, that was appointment television. We would block out our mornings based around, okay, for the first three or four hours of Saturday, I'm in my underoos, I'm watching Super Friends and Scooby-Doo and Bugs Bunny and all this stuff, Spider-Man, Superman and Batman. Just get out of my way, right? But now we have three or four networks that's nothing but cartoons, and nobody really watches them. We just want to make sure that we have access to them. We don't actually watch them, so it's, it's a weird thing. So I've
1: brought up the television listings for the UK on the 25th of September, 1965, and BBC One opens with public service announcements at 12.40pm followed by Grandstand, which is all sport. That's sport from 12.45 until 5.15. And ATV in London is beginning at 5 past 1 in the afternoon with transport, the demand, which sounds very serious, then the news, then some sport. And their sport... Oh, Gary, you want to turn over at 5.20 because they've got the Liberal Party Assembly from Scarborough.
0: Hey. and what time does BBC2 open?
1: BBC Two opens at 9.15am with the Liberal Party Assembly, the hey. final day.
0: There you go. That's for Saturday morning TV. And, and then, then they close
1: down, close down sometime uh, mid-morning, early afternoon, and they don't come back on until 7.
0: By the way, Ken, that's it. Free channels. That's
2: <sighs> so sad. I feel bad for you all. <laughs> I actually feel as bad as for you guys as I did. There's one of the episodes that we uh, were told to watch, Where the Beatles visit an orphanage and everything's in black and white? That's what it sounds like to me.
1: Well, by the time Gary and I are growing up, we did have a Saturday morning culture. But Saturday morning TV in the UK was all based around three-hour shows that had a little bit of everything in it. Good Lord. So there would be cartoons, but then there would also be musical guests. There'd be interviews. There'd be stuff done on location. There'd be games.
2: Yeah. Give me cereal, pancakes, and super friends, man. I'm happy. By the way, you know, you were talking about the sponsors, the the uh, AC Gilbert people, they were behind electric trains and the erector sets and things like that. So it was really cool stuff. Well, sponsorship was also illegal when we were kids. Bunch of communists. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I've seen previously like adverts and usually like from comics and what have you, where it's like a full-page advert for ABC's Saturday Morning Bonanza and they've got all the different shows that are on. Now, usually, looking at this from, you know, the UK perspective, usually you can recognise all of the shows except one. There's always one out of the ordinary one that you think, I don't remember us ever getting that one, and usually it's Richie
2: Rich. (laughs) You're not missing anything. You know, you mentioned that originally the Beatles disliked the cartoon. However, as time went by they grew to like it in 1972 Lennon commented i still get a blast out of watching the beatles cartoons on tv in 1999 george harrison said i always kind of liked the cartoons they were so bad or silly that they were good if you know what i mean and i think the passage of time might make them more fun now it was also syndicated worldwide on television and cable after the original run ended in 1969 In 1986 and 1987, new generations were introduced to the series when it was rebroadcast in syndication by MTV and also by the Disney Channel. On MTV, the series was shown on Saturdays and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Then when it aired on the Disney Channel, the series was shown on Fridays at 5 beginning in 1989. And Mark Hamill was a guest show of the MTV run of the series in 1987. So how's that for fancy?
1: Gary, you mentioned the use of photographs earlier, though. I think that helps. There's definitely an evolution in series two and three. And I think the use of photo backgrounds and the backgrounds get a bit more impressionistic as well. It starts to move towards the psychedelic look. Even when they're doing like Daytripper in 66, they're getting there. And I think just being able to use photocopied backgrounds is something that saves them work and allows them to concentrate elsewhere so while we've said it's not very good it's limited animation it does move and by the last one i'm only sleeping you can see yellow submarines coming that one feels very comfortable with itself to introduce characters who are completely off model with the rest of the design the prince in that looks nothing like any character we've ever seen before even the children john's reading to they're just designed the way whoever drew it felt like drawing children and we even get a little bit more comfortable with Britishness, Gary. Yeah, now you had clued
0: me up on this because you said you're going to hear a voice from Lance Percival, and so straight away I'm thinking, okay, right, who's it going to be? And I'm trying to work out who's who's he going to do because you said it's a voice that won't be familiar to American viewers, and I'm thinking it's going to do Harold Wilson. Hmm. Uh, and then, of course, it was Tommy Cooper. And that amazes me that people in, in the States wouldn't have picked up on that, and people in the UK aren't able to see it, so it's just left in limbo.
1: Yeah, it just has a feel. There's a slightly end-of-term feel, but that last segment looks like something that would have been on times on ITV in the 70s.
0: God, you know, this has got me thinking there. This is probably not going to be the case, but I wonder if this ever turned up on Glenn Michael's cartoon cavalcade. I mean, it is possible. It's the kind of thing that you could never really find out because it wouldn't have had its own billing. That's the thing. I'm also wondering if possibly it would have gone out on something like Sky Channel. So it might have been the kind of thing that if you had cable or something like that, that you might just have had Fortunately,
1: artistic. though, the Beatles are so big that if that had happened, I think we'd know about it. The fans would have seized on it and told each other. We, we even have a bit of continuity in Series 3. In the Strawberry Fields one, their chauffeur is talking about the sociological environment of these children we didn't watch it for this we picked 10 shows to watch just to get a flavor the one in eleanor rigby he says it again and george points out that he's talking about sociological environments again so it's a shame they couldn't have gone for a fourth i think they were going somewhere they might have even let them have the mustaches
0: why isn't there a fourth
1: it wasn't new anymore they had enough 39 is enough for syndication They could keep repeating them for another two years.
2: It's weird when you look at the production schedules, how many episodes were made in that first season, and it gets smaller and smaller as it goes on.
1: And I don't think they were shown necessarily as seasons. I think the six or seven from series two were just slotted in between reruns of season one, and the same happens for the third lot. I think they're just put in, and I think Gary... I'm going to assume that if they're doing that, they're probably knocking off the old opening titles and splicing on the new opening titles every time, which is possibly why there's that sudden shift in quality because the opening titles' assets are probably not kept as carefully as
2: everything else. What was your level of boredom of watching these guys, I have to ask? The
1: cartoons themselves are very short, and there's always a Beatles song coming up. The only problem is is that they seem to have a very limited pool of songs so if you're watching a cartoon based on She Loves You you just know that the next episode She Loves You is going to be in one of the sing-alongs we haven't really talked about those so as well as the two fictional segments there are the sing-along bits which obviously a lot easier to animate because there's just things sliding on and sliding off there's that interesting thing they have framing devices and there's this interesting thing where the Beatles start naming individual children Sing now! Don't forget, Alan, to sing really loud for this next one. It's an odd device.
0: That would have freaked me
1: out. Well,
2: well, wait a second. Hold on. There was there were a lot of entertainers that would have children's show, and they would read fan mail, right? And it would be a way to involve people as far as you know, thinking, "Oh, he's talking about me," or whatever, right? It was just a simple gimmick in a way. But what I hated was I I cringe every time I hear. Sing, children. You know, that sort of thing. It just drives me nuts. It's horrible.
1: <laughs> it, it is really nice. though, It's so like, sing, children, and the next song is She Said, She Said.
2: <laughs> yeah. I would rather th- that they would have been like, and now it's time for the Beatles jukebox. You know, and, and have uh, Ringo go, well, let's see what track we'll play today. <laughs> yeah. And he presses a button and, and the record goes over and everybody seems to think, I, you know, that sort of thing. So. Would have been better than having to create a plane out of cardboard.
1: I'm just so. thinking of all these infants with their bowls of Apple Jacks in front of them all going, She said I know what it's like to be dead. And the parents running in. What <laughs> is happening here? There is an episode. It's not a sing-along. It's an episode Pissed on Tomorrow Never Knows.
2: Yeah, that is a bizarre one to watch. Are we actually going to go through these episodes that we picked? or
1: If you want to highlight particular bits, certainly. I, as I say, I picked them just to get a flavor. I thought there wasn't necessarily going to be that much to pick out. But if, if there's something in an individual episode you want to bring in, do so.
2: Well, we have to talk about the inherent uh, ignorance and racism, right? I mean, that, let's get that out of the way. Like, for example, the uh, Can't Buy Me Love It Won't Be Long episode. John is given a friendship ring from a Polynesian tribal chief. And because she's got this really weird New York accent and she dislikes pineapples, but she's very large and John wants nothing to do with her. And he suckers Ringo into uh, taking the ring because he's going to have to marry her. He finds a way to get out of it. And then there's things like where uh, they go to the Japanese temple. What would you think of that one?
1: Yeah. And then there was Doctor Arso. Yeah, which we, yeah, yes, yeah, you, you misheard that, Gary. I know. Three times. We don't Three have an explicit it, tag, but
2: I think everybody knows what you heard. Can I read the description for that? The Beatles, spending the night at a temple in Japan during a rainstorm, are mistaken for Japanese ancestors of four girls. That just—that's a weird concept, right there. That—that that whole thing is just very bizarre. And uh, then there's the one with the prince with the comb. Remember that one? Oh, like, wait. hey, man! Yes.
1: And to underline this, we talk about the racism, but every single culture the Beatles encounter is just done in the broadest possible strokes. They don't single out non-white
2: cultures. Well, what do you expect from a cartoon in 1966? I'm just right? so glad like, they didn't go to Scotland.
0: <laughs> no, it's okay. But The Simpsons have made up for that.
2: There's this monkeys episode, monkeys chow mein, right? And a lot of people say that it's very racist. And to me, I look at it as a victim, a subject, a thing of its time, right? And the show's very funny. And I think about, for me, as an American kid, this made me interested in other cultures, as weird as that may sound. But it also taught me that there were other cultures out there. Because you start to think everything's like your street. Like, again, I was having this conversation with someone. When did you first realize that not everybody knew every song that you knew? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, let's say you had Yellow Submarine on the 45, or, or some song that's not as world famous. You just expect everybody grew up with that song. But they didn't. It's, that's, it's a big world, so there's a lot that we never had access to. There are times that the, the Beatles are incredibly insensitive Two things I can point out for sure. One in an episode entitled Nowhere Man. It's such a bizarre story. And pretty much the same three or four people wrote the entirety of this series, right? And So they had to knock them out fast. And they were given a song, Nowhere Man. And, and who knew how much these guys were actually listening to the Beatles? I mean, just imagine like if you had to make a cartoon about Willie Nelson, but you hated Willie <laughs> Nelson's music. I'm just... I'm just throwing a name out there, nothing against Willie or, you know. So if these guys were cigar-chomping writers who, here they are, they have to write a song based on Nowhere Man. Did they actually listen to the lyrics? Because the song Nowhere Man itself, there's a compassionate plea for the Nowhere Man to come into the world, right? At the beginning of this episode, a reporter just shows up out of nowhere, like there's a camera filming him, and he says, hey, we're here to see this guy who's a hermit and a tramp who lives out by himself, he hates the world, and look, here are four of our friends, they're just hiking through the mountains. They show up and invade this guy's house, basically, which is a hole in in a mountain, and he gets mad and, and tries to kill them. Right. So he's rolling this boulder to try to knock them out or get them out of there. And they wind up destroying his entire house to the point where he leaves. And there's no empathy like in the song. Nowhere, man. It it just makes fun of him. <laughs> you know? It's, it's and playing on a... my
1: TV right now. <laughs> just <laughs> hit the point where his, his
2: house fractures. Yeah, and you see it crackle all around him. And there's also a Herman's Hermits jokes, which made me think that they were kind of uh, up on some of the lingo of the time, if you will, because they mentioned something about a hermit, and Ringo goes, I've heard all their albums, <laughs> yeah, you know, that sort of thing. But the, the episode winds up with the man losing everything. So there's no empathy like, oh, you could have gotten a helicopter with us, and we're the Beatles and, well, you know, we need a roadie. Like, that would have been a great ending to that cartoon. Think about how that little 12 seconds of information would have been like, why don't you come with us, you know, and, and it could have went back to the world and carried their guitar cases, right? Which they apparently didn't need guitar cases because they could just like, I've got a great idea, let's sing a song, and boom, it. they'd just, they'd just take off. But the Beatles callously... Destroy this man's life and just leave. Yeah, in a helicopter. The the last shot is Ringo
1: just putting his arms behind his head and kicking back.
2: Yeah, let's go. (laughs) Yeah. There's one that, like you said, you can start to see yellow submarine culture happen. The show is turning into something else. And it's an acid trip. And it's the Strawberry Fields episode, the 34th uh, cartoon, the first one of season three, Penny Lane slash Strawberry Fields. I'm going to try to read the description of the two episodes that are in that one episode. Penny Lane Strawberry Fields. In a spoof of James Bond, the Beatles are jealous of a detective named James Blonde, which keeps sounding like they're saying James Blunt, but that's, you know, neither here nor there, who gets more attention from many women. So the Fab Four head to their hometown of Liverpool to stop a robbery on Penny Lane so they can be heroes. Now, nothing that is similar to Penny Lane in scope at all it's you know you would think that it would have been about childhood memories or something but like i said you wonder how much these people even paid attention but uh then you get to the strawberry fields one and it says traveling with their driver james who is an orphan. The Beatles use music to add color and happiness to the life of children at an orphanage. A reference to Strawberry Fields in Walton, a suburb of, of Liverpool. John sums up the experience with, it's all in the mind, you know. Now, the uh, the two songs that were featured in that episode in the Sing Children part of the the show was the uh, Good Day Sunshine and Ring. And Ringo, the prop master. So you had that, but in this thing the Beatles are driving along in a limo with james their orphan driver they see kids crowding around the limo and it's no big deal to them this is what happens to the Beatles, except that everything's in black and white and they're in color and it looks like squalor it looks like when you see film of england you know during world war ii where the bombs were dropped you know entire streets and houses were nothing but rubble that's what this place looks like seriously Am I exaggerating, guys? No, it was like that until about 1986. So (laughs) the Beatles say, well, we basically can fix this, you know, kind of like in Hard Day's Night where they go, let's put on a show right here, you know, that sort of thing. And they start singing and it's really different. This kind of thing didn't really happen before. You would see the Beatles and there'd be like the, the 12 poses that they had to work with or whatever. So they didn't have to do too much animation. And this one, we see all the Beatles fly. And bend and distort and color. They're really trying to use an acid trip kind of a, a look. So you do see a thing. But instead of like saying, well, let's give money to the orphanage, which again, 12 seconds worth of dialogue, they could have like opened up the limo, handed him a couple wheelbarrows of cash, and said, now that we've made everything color, here's money to help the orphanage. But no, they just paint everything a different color, play a song. And then the limo takes off, carried by a balloon. So that just kind of shoots that right in the hind end about anything that they did that was really good of lasting importance, you know. It's like, listen, I know you're poor and have nothing, but we're going to have a parade and paint everything a different color, but you're still going to be as poor and feel as worthless as you did yesterday. Well, the Beatles are
1: even callous to each other in this. The number of shows that just end with one of them's hurt, the number of times Gary, we were watching episodes together and said, we're just waiting for it, to then cut to a newspaper saying Ringo Starr killed. World famous drama perishes at 25. Because <laughs> it's just like, oh, he's hurt himself. Bye.
2: Ringo's last words were
1: uh, yeah. "Yeah." It's interesting how they use and don't use songs in this. Sometimes it will tie up. Sometimes it will tie up way too literally. Nice use of "I want to hold
2: your hand." They sing it to an octopus. Great. That that is actually one of my biggest memories. As a child, that one particular episode, even before it came back on MTV, that was the one that always stuck in my head. And Ringo playing the crocodile as part of his drum kit, right? Those two images stuck with me. Those, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, those ones really stuck in my head as as I went from being a child to a teen to an adult, right? That always stuck with me.
1: Eleanor Rigby doesn't die, but she does literally wear a face that she keeps in a jar. But then you get ones that are just like, let's just sing. I know what'll help. Music. Sometimes it's, I know what'll help. Let's sing some music. Well, I'd rather see you dead. Whoa. Girl, and to be with (laughs) another man. man. (laughs) Yeah, And it was so good. Is he gonna do the third verse? And Yep. Some of it's more interesting than it is good. But I think this definitely deserves a wider audience.
0: Well, it's been great fun chatting Beatles cartoon Ken. Where can people see more of you, hear more of you, read more from you, if they so wish?
2: Well, I don't know why anyone would want to do that, but if you're interested, I have my own little podcasting empire. We do everything from shows about the rock group Kiss, Cheap Trick, The Monkees, and everything else. That's you know that would be the name of the book, right? We have a show called Podkist, which you can find at www. Dot podcast.com K I S S T. And then there's the cheap talk show, which is you can find the blog spot or you can check the links for this show. If you do a, a search for cheap trick or cheap talk podcast, you'll find it. The Zilch, a podcast full of monkeys, is a huge success. It's bigger than anything I ever thought it would be. And it has created a lot of opportunities. And as a matter of fact, I think that's why I'm here today. So thank you, the monkeys. But it it is a uh, so far a going on its fourth year in depth look on everything about the monkeys phenomenon. We talk about the TV show, we talk about uh, their movies, their uh, individual solo stuff, whether it be on TV. Like for example, Mickey, what was it? He worked on that show in the 70s. What was it? Oh, Metal Mickey. Yes, Metal Mickey. There you go. So we we talk about all that sort of stuff and it is a great way for monkeys fans to really investigate the legacy and it's it's really a radio show about the monkeys that happens a couple times a month and we've had uh the three uh remaining monkeys on the show that was quite a thrill and we play a lot of their music and bootlegs and outtakes and Lots of stuff. And thankfully, Rhino kind of approves of us and have been on the show. And they're kind of supporters of it. Not financially, but the idea of uh, being part of it. They're part of the community. So it's very cool. And we have another show, the newest baby. It is Pop, a pop culture podcast where we can talk about anything I want to. And that's really what it's all about. So, And Tilt, I know you're part of our Facebook page there. And we talk about Everything, don't we? We talk about, yeah, seriously, it's music, TVs, movies, books, trading stamps, I don't care, whatever it is, old toys, fast food, anything that's part of it, because we're all trying to figure out exactly what pop culture was saying and what it's saying now, because, boy, we're living in some messed up times, so it'll be interesting to hear what they say about us 20 years from now. So find a pop, a pop culture podcast on the net. Check the links in the show notes. So final thumbs up, thumbs down. I give it a thumbs up, even though there have been times that the Beatles cartoon has put me to sleep, which is hard to believe. I I thought the only way to do that would be to make a documentary and have Whoopi Goldberg and Izzy Izzard or whatever his name is. (laughs) (laughs) Don't
0: give them ideas. It'll happen. I can see. I can just see. Yeah. Eddie Izzard.
2: I absolutely
0: love the Beatles cartoon. Yeah, he's gonna be sitting there watching it on an iPad or something like that. It's the first time he's seen it like thirty seconds earlier. This will be an HBO BBC co-production. Of this documentary. <laughs> oh, James Corden will be on it as well. But no, I'm gonna. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it a thumbs up. I quite enjoyed it. I like things which are sort of slightly off. If you know what I mean, where it's like you're looking at it and you're thinking this isn't quite right. And so I did. I legitimately asked till you know the first time we saw it. I said. Was there ever any concidious consideration given to actually having the Beatles voice this? Until it put me right and said no. So straight away I'm thinking, okay, well the voices are fascinating and the fact that it's never turned up really anywhere. You don't just switch on Cartoon Network and it's there and it's like, oh, blame me, of course, Beatle Cartoon. Oh, that's been done to death. You're not going to do a cast on that, are you? Everybody knows about that. So no, it was good fun. It was a nice little curiosity. What about yourself, Till?
1: Thumbs up, yeah. It gets really good towards the end. Even when it's not so good, there's going to be a Beatles song along in a few moments.
2: (laughs) Yeah. The Beatles song saves everything.
1: So next week, Gary, I think we've had enough Jafferville for this year. Jafferville will be back next year. We'll be doing eight shows, and we've already decided what we're going to be talking about. But next week, I think we go back to Jaffa Cakes of Proust. We're staying with the Beatles, but this time, they're not being voiced by strangers. They're not being written by strangers. They're completely in charge of the entire enterprise. I think we need help for that one.
0: Yeah, it's a really good idea, this, isn't it? So, it's Boxing Day, it's 1967, and you're probably watching it in black and white. Tyler is going to join us, and we're going to be talking about the Beatles' Magical Mystery Tour.
1: Until then, I've been Tilt. I've been Ken.
0: And this is Gary saying thank you very much indeed for listening to Jaffaville.
2: Oh, yeah.